And the things that we're really good at, um, we sometimes use as a means to control our world and to control what's happening around us. And if you don't take an inventory and and really give yourself the space to figure out like, okay, so what's bugging me? What's off right now? Then it's it's really hard to know. Shaleen, welcome to A Sharper Life. I am beyond, beyond excited to have Aww. you. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited. So I want to jump just straight in. And you have had tremendous success in your life, but you've also been very open about the challenges that you've been through. So sure. I'd like to just begin for those who maybe don't know as much about you of how you started your career. So some mm. might not know your background of working with Beachbody and creating some of the best-selling programs out there. How did you become one of the highest paid and best performing consumer fitness instructors back in the day? Back in the day. Uh, by accident, really. I um, have always been an entrepreneur. You know, I was raised by a old school entrepreneur, my parents, and um, they always struggle like ups and downs, ups and downs. And I knew that they weren't going to be able to pay for college. You know, we were going through some rough times and they just were very supportive of like, let's figure out a way for you to make the money to pay your way through school. So I started flipping cars at like age 15, you know, buy, like buying one car at a time at that point. Uh, fixing it up, like maybe taking six months to do it cosmetically and then selling it, making a couple thousand dollars and then taking that money and, and doing it again and doing it again. And eventually I uh, was able to make enough money to pay for college. It also really taught me a lot about negotiations and, um, and also negotiating with much older men. You know, here I was and my parents mm -hmm. made me do that. Like I was this, you know, five foot two petite blonde negotiating with people driving up from Detroit. Like it was you know, it, it thickened me up and it taught me a lot about business and, and entrepreneurship. And then I put myself through school at Michigan State. I had a, a used self-owned car lot. So if you were selling your own vehicle, you rented a space from me. It was this, I, I think I was CarMax before there was CarMax. Um, and I rented a piece of land from the state of Michigan. That's what I did to put myself through college at Michigan State. Um, and I also was teaching fitness classes uh, just for fun like at, at state, you know, it wasn't my degree or anything. I had no interest in doing anything with it. It was just fun. I love music. I love dancing. And it was just a way to manage my weight because everyone like in both sides of my family always talked about dieting. And, you know, you never know what message you're going to receive as a kid. But for me, Everyone on both sides of my family were really overweight and always struggling with their weight and always really unhappy. And they obsessively talked about it. And so I had zero interest in dieting. I was just like, that's what you do if you want to be miserable and overweight. And so I never dieted, but I was like, but I should exercise. So I did and um, really loved it. But then that's when the industry started changing and things started getting more and more complicated. And I found myself working as a paralegal, you know, selling cars, doing my 95 different businesses and also trying to teach fitness classes for fun. And I'm like, this isn't fun because I have to spend so much time creating the choreography and the music. Oh, you know what? My mom did jazzercise. Maybe I could <laughs> come up with my own routines and sell them to other instructors to, just to make their life easier. I know it would make my life easier. And that's kind of how I developed the idea to create a program called Turbo Kick uh, back in 1998. And um, it just ended up being the business that really 
was perfect timing. It wasn't the thing I was most passionate about or purpose driven for. It was just the right timing. That's incredible. I, I love that you're like the, like when people talk about flipping houses, I don't think I've ever heard someone say they were flipping cars and like, yeah. let alone, as you said, five foot two, little, you know, beautiful, petite, blonde, like what a story. That's I'm su that's still such cool. a car freak. Like, <laughs> you know, whenever we meet someone who wants to talk about cars, they always like t talk to my husband. I'm like, no, no, no. He, d he only cares about cup holders. Talk to me about, oh the my God. Size, you know, but yeah, oh, so that's, that's, so that's kind of how it happened. That's how it, that business took off. Um, that business made us, you know, our, our first million dollars. Uh, but I didn't know we had made a million dollars because, uh, I discovered, I thought my husband was having an affair. I discovered, you know, I don't know how many years into our marriage that he was struggling with a gambling addiction and we were working together. He was a CFO. So I was just like, what, 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 we're not, we're not making the ends meet again this month. Like, I don't understand. I had we all, all these sales and it was just, you know, kind of stuck my head in the sand and didn't know much about our financial situation. We got that. We figured that out for our marriage and we figured that out for our business just about the same time that the Tybo infomercial was hugely mm -hmm. popular. And my program was this kickboxing program. And so all of the infomercial companies were looking for the next Tybo, basically. And so we had this really killer opportunity where, you know, the big infomercial companies were all coming to, to us, uh, kind of courting us. And then we, we had our pick of companies um, to go on a consumer level. I mean, what a story, especially just to be an entrepreneur from such a young age and kind of fall into the fitness industry without necessarily like, it's not like or it sounds like that wasn't your total passion dream. And no, yet you've, you've actually been very vocal about the negative side effects of the fitness industry, including over exercising, barely eating, mm -hmm. surviving off of, you know, protein shakes, energy drinks. You've talked about orthorexia, just some of the challenging yeah. things that you've dealt with. So I'd love to know more about that, but then what was the catalyst or like the one thing you realized that, you needed to change or you needed to get out of that industry? Yeah. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome, right? And and I, I don't necessarily always think that's a bad thing because you kind of are an imposter when you first start something that you've never done before. And you're like, well, you know, even like I remember bringing my kids home from the hospital and thinking like, I guess I'll just do <laughs> pretend I'm a mom because I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And that's kind of what I felt like when I got into consumer workouts. Like, that was a whole nother. I knew how to teach classes at the gym. I never had any issues with my body image. Uh, I, I just always, I never thought about like, do I measure up? Never. And then once I got in consumer videos, it was so different. And now it wasn't like uh, what my students thought. We had to worry about like, what did millions of people think? And what would be marketable? And uh, what can you say? And what can't you say? And, oh, we can't say that. And we, we do say this. And, you know, so I was, I was like studying people who were doing consumer videos and like literally trying to say the things that they were saying and, and, and stand the way that they would stand. And, and it never felt like I belonged there. I never felt like, except when I was teaching. Right. Like when you put me on camera and when, once I'm teaching, whether there's a camera there or not, I'm like myself. But everything leading up to it, before it, after it, around it, 
all of it, the photo shoots, oh, I hated every single part of it. And it really messed with my, uh, my mindset and messed with my love of fitness. You know, like I was like, God, do I really even enjoy this? Because I had to do such extreme things to meet the physical standard, the body that people expected to be marketable. Um, and, and so it turned slowly. You know, you, you, you don't even realize you're in it mm-hmm. until you're out of it. But there's always that little voice. Like, right. I, you know, if I'm thinking back now, I, every once I would have these conversations with myself, like, this isn't normal. This isn't healthy. You shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. You know, I would have these like little voices and then I would dismiss them like, but so is everybody else. This is what you have to do. This is where you are, you know. Um, so it was a slow and steady decline where like I remember the very first shoot that I showed up to do um the producer I think I don't know what her actual title was but you know she just sent me an email telling me how that had it was like a printout of a pdf of how to cut weight and water before the photo shoot and it was like seven days before the photo shoot and I was like oh am I I've never modeled I've never done anything like am I am I supposed to diet before this and cut water I is this, oh, this is what you're supposed to do? Like, I didn't know. And then it was just like, you know, just this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. All these strange things that it, it, I just became so unhealthy and unhappy. And so with that, like, I resonate so much. Just I was in the modeling industry and you know, it's everything you're sharing is very relatable, at least is like the negative side effects and the comparison or watching what other people are doing. And it's, it's been interesting because I think most people have a connotation of, I think we now understand maybe the fitness industry has a lot of these challenges, but when you think about modeling, it's like, yeah, most people look at that, like, Mm. sure, the body dysmorphia and, and all of these things, but it's, I think the, more interesting part was when I went into the health industry, which was totally by accident. Like I just kind of fell into it because of healing myself. I've actually found the health industry to almost be more toxic Mm. than the specific modeling industry where there's more ego and, and people saying, you know, like I've done the spiritual work and spiritual bypassing and backstabbing. And so I resonate on kind of all levels that you're, you're sharing on this. So do you feel now today that you're over the traumas you experienced then, or does hmm. like body dysmorphia or comparison ever come in now? It doesn't. Um, it really does not. It's, it's weird. Like I, I, I never imagined I would feel as good as I do. I never imagined that I would be able to work out as little as I do, or like basically to, to not hardly do cardio at all, just heavy strength training um, or to eat the, like, I remember thinking like, I wonder if for the rest of my life, this is how I'll have to eat. Like, I wonder if I'm going to be tortured like this all my life. Um, and I always thought like, if I ever didn't, I would have to like move to a deserted island so I could blow up <laughs> to be 300 pounds if I just ate like a normal human. Cause I knew I destroyed my metabolism. Uh, so you know, I think when I look at the fitness industry and health industry in general, I think it's doing better, but I also think it's a really easy place to hide. You can call it disordered or you can just call it um, eating disorders or orthorexia. It's it's a really easy place to hide. It's a really easy place 
to justify what it is you're doing. It's my job. I mean, that's what I was able to save. Like someone would say, you're going to go work out again. I'm like, I don't have a choice. It's my job. You know, like I have to. So it was, um, for me in terms of like to getting back to your question, uh, do I feel it today? I don't feel triggered at all today, but I wonder if I were to do a consumer workout, if I would, which is why mm. I won't, you know, it's like yeah. that person maybe who's over overcome, you know, a, an addiction to drugs or to alcohol. And they're like, yeah, I just don't think I should go to a bar. Um, you know, and some people can, I just, I don't think I'll ever do a consumer fitness video that isn't 1000% all me. You know what I mean? Totally agree. I actually, when I first moved to Miami during the pandemic and as things were sort of opening up, I, I started going, I think I went on like two castings and even just going into the, or or for modeling, modeling because I hadn't, I hadn't modeled in years. Like I, I gave up modeling cold Turkey. I was like so fed up with it. And I, when I joined the agency, they were doing, you know, the measurements and the way, and I was like, Oh fuck, not, not this again. (laughs) And then I went on a casting and it's, you know, all of these girls and tiny, and I'm like, I have a super healthy relationship with food, my body exercise now. And like, I am so grateful to be out of that kind of what you're saying too. But like, yeah, that was a little triggering to go yeah. back to the casting and yeah. see all the girl. And like, I'm like, oh God, here's the competition. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to do it. That's yeah. It. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it's to be fair, I think there's plenty of people who can model and do it in a way that's very healthy. And there's plenty of people who are in the health and fitness industry and they are healthy and it's, it's a healthy place for them. Maybe it even keeps them responsible. It keeps, cause I've heard from people have told me like, you know, if it, w- if it weren't for fitness, I would be anorexic. If it weren't for fitness, I would be binge eating. So I do think it is healthy for some people. It just wasn't healthy for me. Mm. What do you know now that you wish you could go back and tell yourself then? Mm. Like while you're in that industry, is there anything now that you're like, oh, if only I knew that? Yeah. You know, I did know it. I wish I just turned the volume up. Like there were times where they would ask me to say something on camera or to, I don't know, promote something or endorse something to reframe or rephrase the way I said something. And I I remember thinking like, I would never say it like that. That doesn't resonate with me. That would never come out of my mouth. I would never promote that. I would never, you know, but also thinking, but I want to be easy to work with. And and I want to, I want to be everyone's favorite. I want to make all these people money. I, I want to do a good job. So I'm going to like turn down the dial on who I am and I will be what they want me to be. And, you know, I, I knew I, that voice was there. So if I could go back in time, it would be to pay attention to that voice. Like when it feels phony, when it feels cheesy, when it feels slimy, when it feels just even inauthentic. That just don't don't do it, you know. A hundred percent, I agree. Do you? I mean, just based on what you're saying, have you ever dealt with people pleasing tendencies, or maybe oh, yeah. back in the day? For sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that surprises people because I am very opinionated, and i I don't need I don't need people who don't I I don't know in real life to like me. I don't. But if I know you in real life and I like you, I'm. I'm going to want you to want to like me, you know, especially if I like you, if I don't like you, I don't care what you think, but if I do, then I'm going to bend over backwards. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take the back seat sometimes. And and I do still struggle with that a little bit. I think mm-hmm. we all do. Right. Right. I, I'm 
I think anyone who says they don't is is somewhat lying, but I also respect you sharing that and, and yeah. being open. But I want to shift gears a little bit because you, you know, were a phenomenon in the fitness industry and and it really a trailblazer in everything you were doing. And now you are just kicking ass and taking <laughs> names on your podcast, your Instagram, and you're I mean, I love that you say you're opinionated. It's something I'm learning to be even more open and like zero fucks given attitude. <laughs> but what I'd I'd love to know because you've very openly shared your life on social media and your podcast, including your surgery and exposing the whole California Medical Board and and challenges you've overcome in your relationship, just to name a few. And if yeah. you guys aren't, you know, subscribed to Shaleen's show, and obviously I'll put it all in the show notes, but like Thanks. you are a must follow. I've learned so much from you. But Thanks. what made you choose to be so vocal? And I guess, has there ever been any downfall of being this vulnerable with your audience? Well, first, let me find my phone because I can hear it going off. It's going to drive me crazy. Amateur, <laughs> amateur hour over here. Um, I, I've always been opinionated. And I've always been vocal. And that is because of the way I was raised. And I think it's, um, you know, it's what I try to do with my kids too. Um, and my husband had a completely different upbringing where, you know, dad's way was the only way and you don't talk back. And in my household, you know, my parents always asked our opinion. Uh, they would lay out all the facts and say, okay, well, here's what's going to happen if you choose choice A or choice B. Um, but you can make the decision and then you can fix it if you F it up, you know? So I always felt like I, my voice mattered. And I think that was a really powerful, important thing my parents did. So I've always, I've always been very opinionated and I've always, um, and it does get me in trouble sometimes because I, I have to apologize because I never want to hurt someone's feelings. I'm not going to apologize if I, if you've got issues and that's your problem, you know what I mean? But, but there are many times where I have said the wrong thing and some, I'm very open-minded. So if someone, you know, can point out to me or help me grow, open my mind, I'm going to apologize. And I never would want to hurt someone unintentionally or intentionally either way. Um, and so, yeah, it it's, can sometimes get me in trouble. I don't care about people like unfollowing me or, you know, whatever, starting a Shaleen hate group, whatever, like that kind of oh stuff. That's just the internet. And there's a lot of weirdos out there with cat profiles. No offense if you have a cat profile, but I find that those are the people who like, it's never their face. They've got, they're private and they've got, you know, 200 followers. So oh, I don't worry I about those people. Um, but I, I have always been this way. And there's, there's just times when I feel like, I need to have a little bit more of a feminine energy because that can be a defense mechanism almost. Mm. You know, I love that you, you went there actually. I'd, I'd very much like to get into that topic mm -hmm. because I, I see the rise of more women becoming aware of masculine, feminine energy. And that, that's been a huge thing in my life where it's like business has been like masculine, go, go, go. I've been very much on my own, love my parents, but they were, 180 from what, you know, what you experienced. And so mm. I really learned take care of yourself, like you are it. And so have you, well, it sounds like you have battled between a little bit of that masculine feminine and what do you, like, what are some of the practices or tips that you've yeah. learned to help you step out of that? And, and also I think it's important to say like, there are times as women that we want to be intentionally in that masculine energy. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on just tips, practices, or what you believe about this topic. Yeah, that's interesting. You should say that because I'm not hundred percent sold on it. Like I, one of my girlfriends is like, 
doing this major journey to tap into her feminine energy and she's coaching other women to be more feminine. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I, you know, I don't even know what that means. I'm, I'm super feminine. She's like, girl, you're not feminine. Like you've got a very masculine energy. I'm like, what? Look at these nails, the hair, the <laughs> lips, like the, you know, the makeup. I'm always wearing a dress. What are you talking about? She's like, oh, that's nothing to do with feminine energy. I'm like, oh, well, what is it? And, you know, so I think everyone has their own definition. And for some, it is about being a little softer, allowing someone else to take the lead. Sometimes it's um, not putting up that hard exterior. I think that would be considered kind of a masculine energy being the take charge kind of person. I guess Here, here's what I know. It's just my personality. I don't know if it's masculine or feminine. I don't think it's either of those things. I, I just, it's just who I am. And I, I am a fixer and I, I'm not the person who people come to like, you know, to like fall into my arms and cry on my shoulder. Cause I'll be like, okay, get a pen and piece of paper. Let's make a to-do list and we'll, we'll fix this. Let's be resourceful. Pull yourself together. Stop crying. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not that. And I guess that's kind of more of a, um, what some people would consider a feminine energy and it's just, I just think it's my personality. I think sometimes we, we get all caught up in these like terms that mm-hmm. then everyone like, I need to hold space. Like some of these terms drive me nuts. I can't fucking handle it. They're so dumb totally and great. I can't wait till we s- stop using them. But like, that's one where I'm like feminine, masculine. I don't know. It's just my personality. Sometimes I'm a little too take charge and I would like to be a little less fix it for certain people. For example, my daughter, um, you know, she's an entrepreneur and sometimes she'll call me and she's like on the brink of tears and I'll be like, well, what's going on? Well, hold on. I'll go get my laptop. She's like, that's mom. I just need you to listen, you know? And I'm like, I just want to solve the problem. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a personality flaw where I have to be able to read. What does somebody want? Do they want me to solve this problem or they just want me to shut up and just listen so they can vent, you know, and be there for them. I mean, incredible awareness that you have. How has that affected your marriage with you and Brett, just in terms of you maybe being in that more fix it, whatever masculine energy, if we're going to call it that versus maybe a man wanting that softer side? Have you battled that at all? I don't think so. I think we really gel. Um Maybe, you know what, actually, now that I think back on it and like the 1.0 version of our marriage, like bef- before we figured out the gambling and so his addiction to gambling and my addiction to work, uh, I was really very uh, like the boss, you know what I mean, in our relationship and because we were working together and we didn't quite know how to do that. We didn't know whose lane was which. So, yeah, it, it was a sticking point a little bit there. But since then, no, not at all. Um, you know, he, he loves that I solve problems. He loves that I do not take no for an answer. He loves that I will find a workaround. I will, you know what I mean? Like he love he loves that I um, am like a pit bull sometimes and I'm just not going to drop that bone <laughs> until, until it's fixed or in, until I get my way or whatever it is. So I think, I think that comes in handy sometimes for him. Amazing. And what would you say? This was actually a question I got from the audience of advice for a couple or family doing business together. Hmm. Like you work with your son. I believe you've worked with your daughter, at least helping her yeah. get her business started. You work with Brett. What What do you think it takes to make it work long term? And also, what do you think 
would make a couple fail at either business together or the relationship to fail? Mm. Well, that's a really interesting question. Ironically, my husband and I, for uh, I think about a year and a half, took on coaching clients. And at least one in the relationship had to be an entrepreneur. And in most of the clients that we worked with, they both were entrepreneurs. And I would say it was like 50-50. of them, I'm like, you need to dissolve this business and not do business together because y'all are going to implode. And then there were 50% of them that you could just tell it was like, it just brought them closer together and it was the right fit. My parents are an amazing example. They cannot work together and they've been married for uh, like 57 years or something. Wow. Um, and they're amazing together, but they're horrible together in business. So I, I try not to be the expert at any of that. I can just tell you what worked and continues to work for us. Communication, extreme respect. You can't be in business with someone who you're going to talk over them in a meeting. You're going to undercut them. You're going to try to, you know, bolster your, the way you look over the way they look. Um, if, you know, you, you can't agree, if you, you can't respect that they have completely different skills and that they are equally important, even if like, so for me, I'm, I'm the front facing part of the business for the most part. Right. But we'd be bankrupt if it wasn't for Brett, you know, like I come up with the ideas uh, but some of them are really, really bad. Like I, I'm like a bulldozer moving land and he's like, he sets down all the orange cones so no one dies, you know? So it's respecting that even though you, you can't think that one thing is more important than the other. Um, so that's what I would say for marriage and uh, work relationship. Working with family outside of that is incredibly tricky. Um, I, I rarely see it work. The only way it works is if it's just there's so much open communication and everyone knows that the money doesn't matter. The relationship does, you know? And so like with both my kids, I, I work with them. I have a business together with my son and my daughter. Uh, we hire her as a consultant for a lot of our graphics. Um, and for both of them, they know, like we don't talk about work when we're with family, you know, like when they're, we're all hanging out, we just don't talk about work. So um, it's having boundaries and excellent communication and knowing that family really does come first. Because in a lot of situations, the money comes first. Mm. Honestly, I just, I love what you're sharing. And I think that's also something that so many people fail to understand or even in themselves of the boundaries. Like people are so scared of the people pleasing and how do I set a boundary? How do I say no? And it's like that that's a key for any relationship, yeah. not just work or business. So I love that you're, you're bringing that up. The death so, of any yeah. good thing comes from resentment. Yeah. So your, your joy for that thing that you do, once you start to resent it because you've taken on too much, it's going to die. Once you begin to resent your part, your partner, it it's really hard to come back from that. I mean, it's possible, but it's really hard. So you want to catch yourself when you start feeling those little twinges. And what most of us do is we push through it. We're like, I'm being obnoxious. I'm being I'm being uh, emotional. I'm being all you, you tell yourself, no, it's me. And then you just keep letting it build up and build up and build up. And then you, you want to quit or you want to leave. You want to walk away from whatever it is because you've let it go too far. Spot on. I, that's something that my husband and I deal with a lot. I'm the, because of a family system where there was no communication, I mm. went the opposite, which was like, let's communicate, let's talk, let's figure it. Uh -huh. But I'm also a little masculine in that of like, 
come on, bro, like, let's just figure it. Like, I don't want to beat around the bush. And whereas my husband does not kind of talk or open up and vulnerability (laughs) is a bit challenging. And, and so I find that there becomes, you know, resentment from him at his end. And I'm like, I don't even know what I did. It is like something yeah. from two months ago. And and so I, I, you know, I think any relationship you go through that and, and learn to grow. But so I have to say you and Brett are like, honestly, the cutest couple. I, I <laughs> met you guys off screen. I, you know, have followed you guys for a while. You seem so madly in love. And as you said, there's such a beautiful respect for one another. But I also know you've been through your challenges and you're saying about the gambling and losing money. And you shared this very publicly, so we don't need to go into too much of like the examples because, again, you guys go follow Shaleen. But how do you guys navigate through tough times, and what are your non-negotiables now? And obviously, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> um, so therapy was huge, 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 huge. I mean, we wouldn't be together if it weren't for both of us going to therapy in that moment. So you know, that was a devastating. Moment, you know, I can describe it now as like that time, but it was, it wasn't just a day. It wasn't just a week. It was years of rebuilding the relationship. I didn't know who I was married to, you know, I, I, and it is, it's such a betrayal. You know, I've heard many couples talk about infidelity and it felt just like that. Like you just had no idea who you were sleeping next to. Like we were, um, $476,000 in debt. And that's hard enough. But on top of that, I was just burnt out from working myself because we had small kids at the time too, from working myself. Uh, I only slept three, four hours a night, probably four hours a night uh, because the rest of the time was just work, 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 work. Cause I had to, I was like, we, we got to catch up. We got to catch up. I didn't realize that there was a hole in the bottom of the boat, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not to point a finger at him because we had this very symbiotic relationship in our addictions. So a gamble, the perfect person for a gambler to be married to is someone with a work addiction. So we had to heal both of those things. Um, and I would say his is definitely uh, probably more in check than mine. You know, we were just in Las Vegas and it doesn't phase him at all. But for me, I have to like go, okay, we're adding too much to the plate. Why, what is it I'm trying to avoid? Mm, I love that you talk about that. Cause that I was actually going to ask that is like, so common. I see again in women today, myself included, where it's like, go, go, go. I, like I have all these big dreams. I want to do it, but then I can find myself numbing, distracting, overworking. And then suddenly I feel even further away from my goals. So, you know, outside of kind of checking in, what other tools have you implemented to mm-hmm. check your own quote unquote overworking addiction? Yeah. So every 90 days I, um, go through a process of like giving each important area of my life a score and not a score on like, how does the world think I'm doing? But like, how do, how do I feel about this area? Like right now, is it off? Is it like so solid or something off and I can't put my finger on it? And I score everything. And then it's just so easy. It just pops off the page. And if you don't do that, then you go to your default, right? So for some people, it's, it's the thing that you do to control. Right. So for some people, it's to restrict their food. For some people, it's to exercise. For some people, it's to work because we're good at those things. And the things that we're really good at, um, we sometimes use as a means to control our world and to control what's happening around us. And if you don't take an inventory and, and really 
give yourself the space to figure out like, okay, so what's bugging me? What's off right now? Then it's, it's really hard to know because we're, we just, we don't give ourselves any time to do that. And when I say time, I mean, literally most people don't ever sit down and, and like, look at the, you know, 10 or 15 important areas of their life, which takes 10 minutes. When was the last time, you know, anyone who was watching this did that? It's a pretty powerful thing to do and it doesn't take much time. And then you're just like, well, that's why I'm unhappy right now. I'm so pissed about, you know, this. And, and then you realize like, and I haven't even given it any, I haven't tried to improve it because I didn't realize it was bothering me. But it, you're speaking my language. I I recorded a solo episode actually right before this. And oh. I was talking about, you know, your circle of life or whatever categories you have. And that exact thing of like measuring one to 10 and looking at, you know, if you're at a, a two on joy, like being like super low on joy, yeah. then asking yourself, where, where are you spending your time, energy and money? Because you can track it back to see, well, I am not spending my time, energy, money on anything that brings me joy. I'm spending it on the business. But now, I mean, it's, I do it that as well that and it's, it's so fascinating, because it's like so many women are addicted to the scale. Mm. Whereas I think what we're doing and teaching is the scale, like fuck the scale that like, okay, if you, that really works for you, but where are you taking stock and inventory and like checking the the weight on the areas in life that actually matter? So mm. I, I love that you, you bring that up now. You have talked about, I loved, I mean, okay, honestly, I'm like fangirl extreme because I learned so much from, Aww. from your, your podcast, but you talked about on one podcast, the sex languages. And this was like, we've heard about the five love languages, but I loved what you and Brad explained of this concept and that in order to have passionate sex and I guess like feel ready and excited that you have to know yours and your partner's like actual sex language. So mm -hmm. what do you mean by this and how can the audience implement this concept into their life for better, juicier, more intimate, passionate sex? What, well, whatever have, you want. I have no idea. I have, I, you, I have no recollection of recording that podcast. I've done over a thousand podcasts. So I'm constantly, um, I am notorious for like, okay, this is the thing I'm obsessed with this week. So I, I can just share with what works for the two of us. Like we have, um, very matched sexual desire. Uh, but there have been times when it didn't seem like it was matched. And we always found out it related to hormones. Uh, but I think one of the ways to, to know each other, like what works for the other person is, is to have this open communication at the right time. So the other party doesn't ever feel like there's something wrong or that you're, you know, pointing out some of their shortcomings, like, but just to be real about it and, and we shouldn't be embarrassed. And it's such a cool thing to be able to connect on that level. And, and for us, it is, it really does bond us just how attracted we are to each other because it's not just like a physical attraction. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, the other day, my girlfriend came over and her son is like, has never done anything athletic in his life. And he's like 12 years old. And um, my husband took him out into the street and he was like teaching him how to, how to sprint. And I was just like, Oh my God, you are. I told him, I'm like that, that was the most attractive thing I've ever seen. Like, I just love it when you put your head on backwards and you, you're listening to him and you were, you were like on his level 
I mean, cause this kid had never done anything athletically and, you know, just the way that he knew how little to give him and how much to give him and how to, you know, reward him and praise him. And I was just like, God, that is so freaking attractive. Like that is what I mean by we're so attracted to each other. I don't mean like physically, but yes, physically too. But when you know, someone's like really into you, then that it does affect you on a physical level. You know, it's like the compliments that we give each other constantly, like constantly. I think that's really important. It breaks my heart when I hear people are in a relationship and neither party regularly. And by regular, I mean like once an hour, they aren't complimenting each other. Like that's a, I'm, it's a, such a gift that you can give your partner. And it's sad to me when someone's in a relationship where one party can't do that. Mm. And that's really what I, I meant by the sex language you guys had yeah. mentioned was that in order to get ready for sex, like it's not just a like a wham bam in the bedroom. Let's, oh no, let's fuck it. It's like, and it's what I was day. listening to was it starts in the morning for yep. you guys of like, you like, you guys give each other compliments. You love a little butt slap or he does and like building it up. And I think there's such a, a misconception of sex where it's like, okay, it's time. Nine o'clock kids are in bed. Like, yeah, let's go yeah. to versus like what I learned from that. And, and what I see is just like, you guys are constantly sharing words of affirmation, like publicly to each other. And as you said, like complimenting. And I, I think that's, it's definitely like a missing part of the love languages yeah. of the, like building it up throughout the day from the moment you wake up. So by the time night falls or whatever time, then it's like, Oh, of course I want yes, to it's, make it's love. Like I know in the morning, every morning, I know if that night we'll be having sex. I can, I just <laughs> like by, by 11 AM, I know because it's just this, this banter and the way we'll look at each other and, you know, and sometimes I'll shut that conversation, that banter down early. You know what I mean? But then, then you just know, like it's an all day thing or it's not going to happen. But I, I do want to say this, Nikki, because I think it is another area where women in particular feel this overwhelm. So we are in a very different season than probably a lot of the people listening or viewing. And when we had little kids and we were completely stressed out and you're exhausted and you don't feel cute and you don't have time to do the things you want to do to look your best, to feel your best. Um, and then you have this pressure like, oh, and I'm supposed to be, you know, super hypersexual with my partner. And I really just want to punch him in the head. You know, like it, it, there, there is that season, you know, and, mm. and so you just have to give yourself grace. However, and I'm sure I'm going to get some shit for this. Even in that season, there were a lot of times where I'm like, I am not the last thing I want to do right now is have sex. That is the last thing on my mind. Um, and I actually don't need it. Like I, when I need to sleep, <laughs> but I would, right. I remember saying to myself, like, but this is going to bring us closer. Not, this is something I'm doing for him. I want to be close to him. I want to be connected. So give yourself five minutes. And if you're not into it, you can call off the race, but like, just give yourself five minutes and see if you don't feel more connected. And I always did. So there's lots of times when my little voice was like, go, just go to sleep. But man, like, you know, I don't know, five, eight, 10 minutes later, <laughs> depending on how good she is. <laughs> um, you just are like, Oh God, I'm so glad we did that. Yeah. Well, and I, I think what you're saying too, like people, I, what I've experienced that it's the, Oh my God, right. We have to have sex for whatever reason. And it's, 
it's kind of the opposite where the more you put into it, like the, when we talk about that, the circle of life or the categories, like if you don't feel connected in your romantic relationship, again, how much time, energy, money, whatever that might be. And where, where are the small little changes that you can make? And I love that, you know, five minutes, like do five. I love the five minute rule. I do this with running outside because I, you know, used to do extensive cardio. And now I'm like, fuck that. Like I run like a mile and a half and I'm like, cool, call it a day. Yeah. But there's times where I, I don't want to work out and I'm like, okay, five minutes, just go to the gym for five minutes. If you, if you want to leave after that, great do. I, I never do. I never leave after five, right. minutes, maybe 10. Right. But I think, I think what you're saying is applicable to all, I mean, literally all areas, but I'd also like to just jump into like, I understand you guys are in a different season, but it sounds like you've always been busy and like, you truly are a busy lady. And I know this from chatting with you personally, listening to your podcast, like you were saying going from three episodes a week to two, like I do one and I'm like, Oh my God. You (laughs) know, on top of that, we actually went from (laughs) six to five. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Cause you have, you have two podcasts and you've like all these different things. And you know, Obviously, you've had a lot of success with this, but how do you manage so many different projects at once, especially with ADHD? And and so I want to get into that as well. But how do you manage so many projects that you're not getting overwhelmed? You're still having time for family, you know, for Brett. Like, spill the beans. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, first of all, I don't do them all at once, right? So, like, whenever you hear, a bio from anyone, like even one of your other guests, when you read that bio, someone listening is like, wow, they do a lot. But most all these things are like, you know, five years apart. And they, once I get them steady, then I add on something new. So for me um, and Brett, we have several uh, different businesses and lots of different streams of income, but we never add on a new one until the one that we've just started is self-sufficient, meaning we've got the team in place and we can kind of set it and forget it. So it's all about team. It's all about delegating. It is 1000%. Like if you are overwhelmed, if you're doing too much, then you have to have other people to do. And I think the misnomer, and, and this is true for even as a mom, you know, when we were nearly half a million dollars in debt, I have to tell you this story. I was so overwhelmed and I knew we had to get out of debt, but we were home with kids working from home and I, because my ADHD or maybe it's just a mom thing, I could never get started on work until all the clothes were washed and put away and the kitchen was clean and the sink was empty and the house was decluttered until then I can't start working. So I can't get us out of debt. I can't figure a way for us to make money until all these things are done. And so therefore I'm not sleeping. And Brett just said, well, why don't we hire someone to help just with laundry? And I was like, how are we supposed to do that when we're massively in debt? You know, like I'm pointing my finger at him. And he's like, well, let's just do it for a couple of weeks to get like caught up. And we did. And her name was Inez. And I call it the Inez factor because she changed her life. We, you know, paid her just over minimum wage. She was a mom. She came in and did my laundry three days a week for three hours. And you know, when you're doing laundry, when it's drying and in the washing machine, there's nothing to do. So Inez cleaned and organized my house. And it it was really like the three days, everything was always in order. 
And to think that we spent, I mean, very little money to completely change my mindset, my overwhelm, it all went away. I mean, not completely, obviously, but <laughs> it was, it just freed me to do all kinds of crazy things. So the point is I'm making, if you're overwhelmed and you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're overwhelmed and you're a college student, if you're overwhelmed and you're an entrepreneur, if you're overwhelmed, whatever it is, figure out how you can get help. And that doesn't mean a full-time person. Sometimes it just means just someone stepping in a couple hours a week, trading with somebody, asking somebody in your family to help you with something like just delegate or die. Mm. I love that. And especially that you're talking about just with the finances, of course, it's scary to be like, I don't have finances. I actually hit my breaking. We have a cleaner that comes in every two weeks and I, I hit my breaking point. I think it was last week. And I'm like, that's it. I need a house manager like a house manager slash PA. Like I don't need it full time. I don't, but like I need right. someone to come pick up boxes, take them to the store, like do the little tidy because then that makes me more productive. And if I'm feeling good, I'm actually more whatever, quote unquote feminine or like soft in my relationship instead of working late. And I was like, that's it. I don't, I don't know that the how, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen quite yet, but well, I will. And I think I'm about yes. to go all the way off on this. This is a game changer. <laughs> And here's the problem with the model of having someone to, and you, you know, and that's great if people can afford to have someone come and clean their house, right? That's amazing. But the worst thing you can do is have someone come once or twice a month because you're going to pay a lot more money. And then the house, it doesn't give you any sense of like calm or peace or clean after they've been gone for two days, right? So now you're waiting another uh, 12 days uh, in this chaos, you're going to pay more money. Oh, and then don't forget the fact that you now your house is such a fucking disaster. You end up having to clean it before you're like, everybody clean. The cleaning lady is coming. Clean everybody, right? <laughs> the key is spend the money more frequently, like have someone come once or even twice a week for just a couple mm. of hours, as opposed to coming for like, you know, eight hours or six hours or whatever, just a couple of hours. And there's so many people who would love to just get out and do a little bit of organizing, have something fun that has total flexibility, get to hang out with someone like you. I've encouraged so many people I know to do this and they think I can't afford to do it. But the moment you do, you become more productive and you start doing the thing that only you can do. Mm, okay. That's it. That, I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll report back to you on this. So I want to go into like we've we've talked about and people know you very much of just you radiate confidence as you said you were kind of brought up that way but what i said in the beginning of it's the zero fucks given attitude i i very much have that attitude now of like i'm coming from a full cup meaning that if i'm taking care of myself and i'm you know setting my own boundaries like i'm overflowing with love but also that means that i don't really give a fuck if someone likes me or not so i'd like to know your personal tips on how to have that attitude. Mm. Let, let's just call it the zero fucks given attitude. Yeah, well, first of all, you, you have to control who it is you're allowing to pour into you or to take your attention um, and ask yourself, are they relevant? Does it even matter? And if it does, why? You know, for me, it's, it's just family. It's just family and a lot of my friends, not all of my friends even. Um, and so once I'm good with that. As long as I'm good with myself, that's all that matters. You know, it, it's knowing I'm doing the right thing that I know my morals and my ethics and my values. And um, 
that's all. I, I don't have to prove it to anybody else. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to change your mind. I'm, you're never going to win an argument online ever. So why bother? And 50% of the world wants to just disagree with you anyway. So like, why would you waste time trying to convince someone who's not going to, you're never going to be their cup of tea, right? So be bigger and bolder in who you are because that's just so much more attractive. You know, I, I want to be so myself that people are like that, that's who I'm looking for. Like I, someone like you, someone who talks like you, someone who, you know, all those things. And if you're filtering yourself, if you're being inauthentic, um, it's really hard to keep that straight. It's hard to keep that story straight. You know what mm. I mean? And it's, people can tell, not everybody though, because that's like a pet peeve for me too. It's a pet peeve. I'm like, how can, how do people not know that all, a lot of these people are just so phony. It is so annoying. And they have like all these followers and all the, and I'm like, how do people not know? Like, how do they not see through this? Um, but yeah, sometimes it takes people longer. Sometimes maybe, I don't know what it is, but authenticity to me is so much easier than pretending to be anything other than what you are. Couldn't agree more. Speaking of that, you know, with social media and I agree just with the people that are the private profiles and the this and the that. What are some of the the really positive things you've seen come from social media and having oh, this big account and everything? Question. But what are, but also what are some of the downfalls do you think of social media like relating either to women or men, body yeah. issue comparison? Okay, well, uh, let me start with the positives first because I love that you started your question with that um, relationships, right? Like that's how we met. Um, you know, just like I'm sitting on the street and you're like, wait a second. Hi, I follow you. And I'm like, wait a second. I just followed you like three days ago. This is so weird. Um, yeah. So that, um, I've been, I mean, social media has, is such a gift in many ways, like to just be aware, to, to be aware of scams. Like I need to ship my car from California to Florida. And my DMS have been loaded with people just giving the best advice. Like be, make sure you don't do this. Be sure to do this. Check the credentials on that. I'm like, I would have no way of knowing this. Like that's amazing. I think for, in terms of relationships, I think it's helped a lot of people who are, um, just your average everyday person who doesn't live in a big metropolitan city, but they have a phone and they built a business and they're taking care of their family and they they're leaving a legacy because social media was the catalyst for their business. So I think there's so many incredible wonderful things that it has done. I do think however that there's especially for women I think we'll see a backlash. I think what we're going to see people I said that like with such a Michigan accent. Um I think that we're going to see people a lot of us like getting burnt out on it uh because you know, we know that this perfect curated social media thing isn't flying anymore, but it's really hard to unperfect yourself, if that makes sense. And I see a lot of my friends who they have like the perfect feed and, you know, every photo is amazing and they've just had their hair and makeup done and, you know, and, and it's hard and it's a lot of pressure and it's overwhelming. And now I have to do this every day and wait, now the experts are saying I have to post like multiple times a day on my stories and at least once on my TikTok and my Instagram, my YouTube. And like, it's a lot and it's overwhelming. And not only do I have to be on, but I have to be perfect. And, and everyone's saying that I don't have to be perfect, but why do I feel like I have to be perfect? And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of people just step away, you know, like on YouTube, especially YouTube, especially we see people step away and just say, why do you I'm, think I'm that done. is 
Like why, why YouTube verse over all the others? I think people don't realize how much work it is. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And if you are a creator and I'll say this to be true for myself. I said, delegate, delegate, hire out, hire out. But man, when you're really good at creative or marketing, that's the part where it's so hard not to micromanage and say like, let me, let me just do it. I'll do it better and I'll do it faster. And I think a lot of creatives get sucked into that. And then the resentment starts to build up. And then they're like, wait a second, I quit my job so that I would have freedom. And now I'm working 80, 90 hours a week. Where's the freedom? You know? So... And I think for women also, there's all this like, wait a second, I've got to build this career. Uh Uh-oh, I forgot to get married. Oh no, is it too late for me to have kids? Like, and I still have to be a boss babe. Like, it's a lot. Yeah, that full on. And and just the amount of comparison. Like, I post photos, beautiful photos. I travel a lot. I do, and like, my whole thing is I will never ever touch my body in a Photoshop thing or anything of that. I do like pot, like, vibrant colors and things like that. So like the filters I use is honestly because I like aesthetics. I like saturation, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I'm never, I'm, I'm not removing things out of the photo. I get some people do that for, you know, content accounts. But the thing I think that like, I love those photos, but then it's always my captions that I'm like, I'm like, all right, so here's a photo. Let's tell tell mm-hmm. you the real story behind what the fuck is going on because yeah, you know, it's not what you see. But I, well, but you know, also people aren't reading captions anymore. They don't have time. Know. You know. So, oh, so know. my thing is, uh, I I need to give you a reel or a video or a photo so you actually know who I am because you, I know people aren't going to read. You know, and so that's yeah. why. Uh, and my accounts like like I'm not in a stage where I'm trying to grow my Instagram. I'm trying to make sure that people are following me are consuming it and, and that they, they really know who I am, you know, cause that's the other thing. It's like a big following doesn't really matter. It doesn't, um, even, even big brands, like, you know, they have filters. We, we can see what accounts have actual real followers, real engagement, all those things. The metric is conversions, right? And the metric is that's what brands they want to know. And so they, you know, they might pay attention to you if you've got like the, the right amount of followers, the right amount of engagement, but ultimately it's a one shot deal. And if you're, if your audience, if your community, if your community doesn't truly know you, then they can't trust you. And if they can't trust you, they're not likely to buy from you. Um, even if they are enamored with you. So mm-hmm. I think the most important metric is not followers or likes it's trust. Amen. So the last question, obviously I could talk to you all day, and but you are a very busy woman. And for the sake of not going three hours into a podcast, <laughs> all a Joe Rogan, I want to just really quickly go into your manifesting be, and how you do it, your practices, because this is another, you know, buzzword, how manifest and yeah, a lot of attraction, which I think is great. And there's a lot of bullshit, honestly, if you ask me about what people are teaching, but you have shared your whole manifestation stories of how you've moved into houses and and all of that. So I would love to know just what are your personal practices and or beliefs on manifesting in this life we have? Yeah. So it's true. I think that word sometimes it just gets a little bit overused. I know for me, sometimes when I hear that word, it feels like I just meditated and everything came to me. But the when I use the word manifest, what I mean is like I made an intentional plan 
to make this happen. And then I was very persistent to see it through. And there, I do think there's some laws of attraction at play, right? But I don't, I think it's a lot bigger than like writing it out on a, a vision board and, you know, just hoping and praying that it's going to happen. You've got to put work into it. You've got to put a plan in place and, and you also have to have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C. So, so for me, what I, the way that I do this is I, and it's very different from what I used to do. I used to just see the things that I wanted, like, okay, like almost like a vision board, like, okay, I want the house. I want the car. I want the, but what that doesn't teach people is what will you sacrifice? What will you feel on the journey to get that? Cause I don't care so much about the end. I want to know what what is a journey. I want the journey to be delicious, just super yummy. So I'm always thinking about like what what do I want to feel? That's the bottom line. Now what do I want? What do I want to feel? And so I think every decision I make is based on that, um, and trying to get more of that particular feeling. And then I I make a plan and I make a realistic plan that doesn't put a lot of pressure on me. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. I don't need to have a certain amount of money. You know, I've worked with business coaches before. They're like, you have to give the amount, a specific number to the amount that you want to earn this year. I'm like, why? What? Who cares? Who cares? En- enough. How about that? Enough. You know, business coaches hate that, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so for me, it's like, what do I want to feel? That's the first thing I start with. And then I create a list of goals around that feeling. And then I create what I call an 11th goal, which is a push goal. And the push goal is, it's not the big goal. It's a goal that gives me the resource, the primary resource I need for all the other things, right? Like, so if one of my goals is like, um, I don't know, to uh, become more flexible and be able to do the splits. And another one of my goals is to uh, get good at meditation. And another one is to learn how to roller skate. And I, you know, I look at all these goals and that you either need time, money, skills, or discipline, right? So I write a letter down next to each goal. And if I add them all up, I'm like, oh, the majority of my goals center around me being more disciplined. Then my 11th goal is a goal that specifically gives me more discipline. Or if it's time, then I've got to create an 11th goal that just gives me more time because that becomes the domino and it knocks over all the other goals that are important to me. And then I just focus on, instead of the 10, I just focus on the push goal. If I Mm. just focus on that push goal, the other 10 kind of like, it's not magic because what's happening is by focusing on really what I'm focusing on is a resource. I'm focusing on the resource I need to make these other 10 things possible. And, and wow. I just don't beat myself up if it doesn't happen on that timeline. You know, I'm not perfect. I have a journal company. I don't write in it every day. I try to, but I forget. I lose it. You know, I'm a human. And, um, you know, I, I just try to have as many habits so that I don't have to be disciplined as possible. Amazing. Thank you once again so much for coming. Where can people find you and what do you what do you want them to do when they find you? They can find me on the Las Vegas strip as a Madonna <laughs> impersonator. And I want them to ask for my autograph. No, um, they can find me. on. <laughs> they can find me on the Shaleen show is my podcast. Um, you know, if you want to see the whole story, like I told the whole story about my uh, journey out of the fitness industry and some of the kind of more horrific moments in my estimation. I, I did a YouTube video here that is 
pretty interesting. But yeah, I, I love for people to, if you're interested in business, it's called Build Your Tribe. If you just want to talk about life, it's The Shaleen Show. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. And until next week, here's to a sharper life. <laughs>